0: Are you tired of being sheep? Well, so is he. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not
1: Cattle Radio.
2: Good evening, and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. And as usual, I am your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. It is April Fool's Day, um, 2014, and evidently I'm getting jokes played on me by um, Skype. So that was fun. And as always, we have fun with the technology, and that's why it's fun to do a live radio show, because you never know what you're going to get. Um, Thank you so much for joining me every Tuesday and Thursday night, unless I have a stomach bug or unless some other unforeseen events. uh, I will be here from 9 p.m. till 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, navigating you, or at least I hope so, through this crazy world that we live in, giving you my perspective on my world as I move through it on my journey and hopefully your journey will coincide with mine as we try to spread a little bit of liberty, a little bit of freedom, and um, how dare we spread something. Um, what's that T word called again? Starts with a T and ends with an oof. I can't remember what it... Anyway, but what we're going to be talking about tonight, the the I guess the topic for the show, is really near and dear to my heart, and the reason that it is, is we're going to talk be talking about morality. Now, morality is one of those things that typically will yield itself into a long-winded discussion over moral relativism. I have a couple of clips on that. And it will also yield itself to a lot of, um, I guess, religious philosophy back and forth. And what we can find is that um, if we do create a moral society based on real value and
0: virtues.
2: uh, Once again, virtue is a word that is not used very much in the nomenclature and has actually been pretty much eliminated because of what the word actually means and, and how it portrays and actually how it translates into everyday life and what we can actually do to make this world a better place. So the reason I wanted to spend some time on morality this evening is that if you haven't noticed, the world around you is becoming increasingly crazy. If you live in the United States, um, from the militarization of police, and I've been pretty adamant to speak out about that, to the international banking groups or the insiders, as they're called in in the book "None Dare Call It Conspiracy" by Gary Allen, and like I said, it's a fabulous read. But once again, it has a slant to it, so take, keep that in mind when you're reading it. It does have a John Birch Society S. Slant, so I would recommend reading that and also recommending, excuse me, recommend reading the source document, which he actually sources many, many times in there, Tragedy and Hope by Carol Quigley. And um, my new endeavor will be to read um, one of the books that Josh Wiley will be sending me probably pretty soon, and that is The Rise of the Bolsheviks and Wall Street, By Sir Anthony Sutton. So thank you everybody for listening, and now we're going to get into morality. What is morality in the basic sense? I actually like Mark Passio's definition of morality and his uh, definition of moral, which is in part of the clip that I'm going to be playing here in a few minutes. And it is a little bit long, but he does a very good job of laying out what are the challenges that we face in our day-to-day activities, and overall in the grand scheme of our existence that may keep us from being moral. But I would like to start, before I get to the Mark Pasio clip, oh, by the way, his definition of moral, excuse me, I completely skipped there, is in harmony with spiritual law. Anything that is in harmony with spiritual law, and that's why I said that you will run into some religious issues but I'm going to kind of dispel some of those religious issues. And so here is what I'm going to start, because I think it's very basic. Somebody that went from being an atheist to a Christian, and once again, my religious beliefs, as I've said on this show many, many times, are my own, and they shouldn't be yours, and they should be no concern of yours, because it's my own interpretation of why and what I believe governs this body this soul, spirit, energy supply, whatever you want to call it, what governs us and keeps us in line and keeps us in harmony with one another that we ignore almost on a daily basis. So I'm going to be reading from C.S. Lewis, and it's actually in the, uh, one of the first few chapters of, of Mere Christianity. And this is um, the best way that I can kind of sum up what we're going through as a society. He says, I am only trying to call attention oh, actually I should probably start from the beginning. I hope that you will not misunderstand and misunder or not misunderstand what I'm going to say. I'm not going to be preaching, and heaven knows I do not pretend to be better than anyone else. I am trying to call attention to the fact, the fact that this year or this month, or more likely, this very day we have failed to practice ourselves, the kind of behavior we would expect from other people. There may be all sorts of excuses for us, that time where that time you were so unfair to the child, to the children,
3: was when you were
2: very tired. The slightly shady business deal about the money, the one you've almost forgotten, came when you were really hard up. And what you had promised to do for old so-and-so, and so you would never done, well, you never would have promised if you would have known how frightfully busy you were going to be. And as for your behavior to your wife or husband or sister or brother, if I knew how irritated they would be, I would not have wondered at it, but who... The Dickens am I, anyway.
3: I'm just the same.
2: That is to say, do not succeed in keeping with the natural law very well, or the law of nature very well.
4: And the moment
2: anyone tells me that I am not keeping it, it starts up in my mind a string of excuses as long as your arm. The question at the moment is whether they are good, ex- whether or not they are good excuses. The point is that they are more, one more proof of how deeply, whether we like it or not, we believe in the law of nature. If we do not believe in the descent of behavior, then why should we be so anxious to make excuses for what not having behaved decently? The truth is we believe in decency so much we feel the rule of law pressing on us that we cannot bear to face the fact that we are breaking it, and consequently we try to shift our responsibility. For you notice that the only, for it is only for our bad behavior that we will find these explanations. It is only our bad temper do we put down being tired, do we put down being tired, worried, or hungry. We put our good temper down to ourselves. These, then, are the two points I want to make. First, that human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot get rid of it. And secondly, that they do not, in fact, behave in that way. You know the law of nature They they know the law of nature, excuse me, and they break it. These two facts are the foundation of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe that we live in. C.S. Lewis, *Mere Christianity, page number 7 and 8. So there you go, everyone. That... Is morality, to me at least. C.S. Lewis's interpretation to me is very adequate, if not in, in many ways, um, a good summation using as little verbiage as possible. If we do not believe that there are morals, if there are laws, and obviously we have to exempt psychopaths and sociopaths, people that that don't have empathy for other human beings. That don't have a quote-unquote moral compass or that lack the ability to see other human beings suffer and then have an impact or an empathetic response to that suffering. So for the rest of you out there, the rest of you out in this reality frame that are hearing my voice, that are hearing my thoughts, that are hearing this monologue, you are the ones that it is up to to create action and invoke responses and do things to necessitate, fortify, exemplify, and bring about change. And how do you do that? It starts in your everyday life. It's become more and more a part of my life. To be honest with you, this radio show has become an extension of my life. And what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that when I go out into the world the public me is very similar to the private me. There will be a few discrepancies. There will be a few things that I'll hold back in the comfort of my own home, in the sanctity of my own private property. But for the most part, in anybody that has met me will say this, what you see is what you get from me. And so if that's the case, I want to betray the most moral, upstanding, honorable, virtuous person that I can be. And the only way that I can do that is to constantly govern myself, constantly challenge myself, both mentally and physically, and emotionally, to do the things that are going to bring about this metamorphosis, into something that is going to be much greater than what I could have been five, maybe even ten years ago. You see, we all go through progressions in life where we believe that we've got it all figured out. You have the epiphanies um, through your stage of events, or what we like to call time and space here, um, which are basically just snapshots of, if you subscribe to Thomas Campbell's theory, A virtual playground, which are then archived in our subconscious and conscious mind, so that we can recall them, and by utilizing our immense power of deduction, reason, and logic, be able to utilize those situations to create a better individual Now, that is if you take it and really utilize the tools that this world gives you. This world will give you all kinds of challenges, and it will give you all kinds of rewards, and it will give you these at a very fragmented basis. But you have to be willing, you have to be understanding enough to know that the laws that govern This universe, this planet, and yes, even humanity, you have to know and trust that they will work out in your favor if you put the correct inputs into the system, which is the way that I perceive it. Now, don't perceive it the way that I do just because it sounds really great, but that's what I'm starting to become aware of is the more good, wholesome, factual cogent, clear information that I put out into the system for you people, for the listeners. I don't do this for me. I know all this stuff. I've experienced this stuff. I have transcended the majority of this information and taken it to an even different level. But the level is self-evaluation. The level is building self-confidence. The level is building self-esteem it is not proverbial self-esteem like we learn in public schooling, where you have somebody that gives you a reward for the trinkets, or you answer all the tests correctly, so you get the, the symbolic letter that looks like a pyramid with a capstone that we call A. Or you get the other symbolic letter that looks like, um, it looks like a, I don't know, a camel turned on its side, and we call that a B. Or you have something that looks like a, a bow from the ancient Greek days, and we call that a d. so what other symbology that you chase after? Understand that there is a meaning behind what we do, why we do things, and how we do them and People can tell when you 're genuine, people can tell when you 're lying, and it 's not because it 's some you know grandiose existential pheromone that you're giving off. It is the simple fact that our collective consciousness has a bullshit detector. Just call it what it is. And when you start to go off the path of these laws and natural, innate, I guess the best term would be societal... What's a good term, everybody? Would we say societal constraints? Because most people would argue that morality is governed by society. Where I think that morality is even more entrenched as part of a spiritual belief, a spiritual belief that the majority of us have, depending on how empathetic that you are, and depending if you're an atheist or what have you, an atheist would probably argue against me. Well, I just read from a book of a gentleman that was an atheist that then found religion because he couldn't refudiate it anymore. Couldn't refudiate the idea of a creator. And if somebody that's an atheist refudiates the idea of a creator, then where is that God particle that we hear so much about? You know, where is that? Thomas Campbell describes it as a simulation, and I would more ascribe to that theory than I would ascribe to some big bang, a nebulous term which scientists have made up to to bridge the gap between these couple of nanoseconds that they haven't found yet. Because we now have religions in this world, and especially here in America, that aren't really religions at all. But as Mark Passio will describe to you, they are religions. So let's talk about these two religions. And this is a, an excerpt from Mark Passio's speech at the Tesla Science um, Symposium where they're talking about free energy sources, and the way that we have to have the paradigm shift in order to create something to liberate
3: humanity. And the paradigm shift will be great if, if we are willing to accept the challenge of challenging the belief
2: systems that have already been in place for thousands of years that have been put there as as methodologies of control for you, the masses, for me, myself, and for every other person. Because what's amazing about human beings and what's amazing about people in distress, and that's why they always keep you in a fear-based economy, and a fear-based society, because the people in fear
5: will typically relinquish little what they see as basically
2: um, in well what would be a good term here um, insignificant portions of their psyche and their morality so let's hear what these two main religions are and i'll be back on the back side of the break Thank you once again for listening. Once again, if you like this message, share this with people you know, people you love, and people that you would like to get involved in the paradigm shift, because we've come a long way. Believe me, I've seen the numbers on my show. We've come a long way from 24 listeners, a podcast. And if you listen to the beginnings of my show, I have come a long way on my journey to enlightenment. But we're slowly getting there, and the tide of humanity is starting to really come around to the idea that something is wrong. Now it's up to us, the people with knowledge, the people with empathy, to grab these people by the hand and tell them that it's going to be okay. We just have to get rid of the way that we've been doing things
4: for a long, long time. and of one
5: that is based in abundance. That is the first universal world religion that almost every day Sorry, I I This is think the first religion, this. the universal world religion known as money. Money is a belief-based system of control that is built upon the fear of scarcity, which is purposely designed to limit access to energy that is what money is designed for it is designed to limit access to energy so that we operate on a scarcity mindset and worldview instead of one that is based in abundance that is the first universal world religion that almost every being on this planet believes in unquestioningly the second world religion, the universal world religion, that is almost as universally believed in as money, is the erroneous concept known as authority. Authority is an illusion of a diseased human psyche that is based entirely in violence and is built upon the erroneous and dogmatic belief that some people are masters who have the moral right to issue commands, while other people are slaves who have a moral obligation to obey these masters. That is the religion known as authority. And it is a false religion. The world religions, money and authority, this is the structure that it represents. It's a hierarchical, compartmentalized structure, in which we are ruled by the god known as money. Below that are the people who say, we rule you, the authoritarians. Below that, the people who say, we fool you. These are the people who propagate standard traditional world religions and New Age movement. And below that, the people who shoot at us if we disagree with the authoritarian religions. And below that, the people who profit off of it and think that it's all okay for this immoral violence to continue unabated. And below them, all the people who uphold the system through their actual energy and work. This is the system of the world, ladies and gentlemen. Whether you recognize that or not, there it is, and that is what is taking place. This authoritarianism that is inherent to humanity's current worldview and social structure is completely antithetical, that means diametrically opposed, to the rights and freedoms of the individual. Those who have become bound to an authoritarian worldview gradually lose their ability to display free thinking, engage in civic discourse, and even be able to envisage the notion of true freedom. The imagination is stifled, and they cannot even envision a way out of their current trap.
4: Through fear,
5: scarcity and our own acquiescence, these two universal false religions keep us rooted into the base brain. They keep us in the reptile brain, the the lower brain, which is the brainstem and cerebellum. This is all fight-or-flight mechanisms. Okay, Pure survival, the reptile brain. We are not operating from a place of emotions or empathy, let alone a place of higher-order thinking and reason, which is brought about by the balance of the human brain or the neocortex. That's what scarcity ultimately does. It keeps us in the reptilian complex of the mind. In such a fear-based and fight-or-flight state of consciousness, humanity has become collectively incapable of truly creative and liberating thinking, which is also known as human imagination. We are operating in a cage for the mind, collectively, and we need to get out of it. Adherence to the religions of money and authority blocked the implementation of Tesla's work, and here are three of Tesla's main funders. Nathan Rothschild of the Rothschild dynasty, J.P. Morgan, of course, who funded the Roding Cliff Project, along with John Jacob Astor, one of Tesla's other main financiers who, as we all know, pulled their funding when Tesla wanted to do something that was truly liberating for humanity that these psychopaths could not control. But, you know, who who followed those orders? Those orders came down to military men, followers of orders, who decided on those orders to destroy the Wardenclyffe Tower so that it could not be studied and understood further and preserved for posterity and hopefully be... Activated at some future point so that we could really move into a sustainable future as far as energy was concerned. Order followers did that. Adherence to the religion of authority. To this day, adherence of the religions of money and authority still block the implementation of Tesla's work. And they don't care who they have to exploit or even if they have to destroy. Of the very living, dynamic energy system upon which we all depend for life called the earth itself. You know, profit above people, profit above the, the earth. To this day, these adherents are polluting the very system upon which we all depend for life continuously. And we're letting them do it. You know how quickly we forget about things like the Gulf oil spill as soon as the media stops talking about it. We have such a short attention span. See, it's all about profit. It's all about worshipping at the altar of mammon. And that's where they want us. They want us in their mindset. They want to give us a watered-down version of the way that the psychopaths at the top level think. You know, if you're you're saying, is what I'm basically saying, this is a conspiracy? Absolutely I'm saying that. But I'm not here to talk about the people who are ultimately in charge of that worldwide conspiracy. You know, that's a whole nother lecture entirely. I'm talking about the systems of belief in the bulk of humanity that prop it up and make it able to continue to go on
4: unchallenged.
2: So there you go. That is um, Martin Passio's definition of the two challenges that we face from a moral perspective, and that is the, the religion of money and the religion of authority. So if you were looking from a moral perspective... How much authority is moral? How much money to extort from somebody is moral? And if you guys remember in the, in the show description, I said, will parents be able to instill moral values in their children in order to change society in the future? Would a moral society legislate the spy grid and say no or go after politicians and corporations who break the law and currently don't face any public pressure? So if we are talking about this in a succinct manner, which going over what C.S. Lewis writes and what Mark Passio talks about in his lecture, this governing body of morality is inside of us all as human beings. It's innate, once again, excluding psychopaths and, and sociopaths. They just don't have empathy. But any being on this planet with empathy should be able to answer those questions properly. And that is, will parents be able to instill moral values and change the society for the future? Yes, they will. But number one, they have to first realize that the values that they're teaching, not no fault of their own, are amoral. Where money is the symbol of success. The trinkets are the symbol of success. Not not intellect, not family, not children, not, not being in a moral society. That's virtuous. Once again, an, a word that has been wiped from the nomenclature because of what it actually means and what it should mean to you. So, yes, parents could if they understood what they were up against. And it's up to us, the people that that find this information and then they believe in the, in the intellect and believe in the moral practice of being good stewards of the planet, number one. Number two, being good stewards of humanity. And then being good citizens of one another. And as a Mark Passio says at the end of that lecture, the truth always lies in the mirror because it is really up to you and I Whether we decide for ourselves to go out and promote this kind of society. Do we lay down and let all of these amoral things happen, like wars of aggression and um, setting the LIBOR rates and none of the International Banking Committee getting in trouble, where that is the highest form of financial terrorism that you could ever imagine? if you don't understand what the LIBOR rates are, I would research them myself, and it will only take you about 30 to 40 minutes to realize that that is the top of the pyramid when it comes to finance globally, not just here in America, and that they were doing these things behind the scenes in order to rig the game for themselves. So once you have a society that understands and accepts the fact that cheating, stealing, anything that, once again, getting back to Mark Passio when he talked about natural law, and I played that on my show, where he talked about anything that does harm to an individual and impedes their ability to be successful and to thrive is a wrong. It is amoral. It, is, it should be socially unacceptable. So the next question, would a a more moral society legislate the spy grid? Absolutely it would, because it would realize that that is, in effect, going to hinder you from doing anything that would create a moral or a correct way of being, because now you're subjugated to the ideas of the state, And it doesn't matter if you believe that something is morally okay to put into your body. If you believe that this new drug on the market is okay for you to put into your body, but if it's against the quote-unquote law, then you would be incorrect. You would be amoral in their mind. So that's where you have to draw the line is you have to understand that self-ownership is one of the true principles that we need to align with if we are going to have a moral society. Self-ownership, meaning that any action that you take, you must be solely responsible for. Every banker in that room that set the LIBOR rate should be solely responsible for what they've done. John Corzine from MF Global, who's the CEO of the company that laundered all of the... Of the segregated accounts, the funds out of segregated accounts in gold and silver certificate trading, they should be held responsible. But once again, since society is sitting here at an amoral level, understanding that the only thing that matters to them is their own personal gain and their own personal pleasures, that is amoral. Because what Corazine did, what the banksters did, what they still do to this day, is hindering human growth and development, and it is hindering your ability to provide for your family, and therefore it is wrong and it is amoral. So that's where the morality should kick in. Will we go after politicians and corporations who break the law and, and currently don't face any public pressure? Absolutely we would will it be a tough task i know that it sounds like it would be something very simple that we can all just agree that corruption's bad and we can all just agree that politicians are criminals and we can all just agree that most of you know that most of the bank, banking industry is rigged and we can all just agree that's fine and it sounds really good but we have to first agree that these things are taking place if you want to think of it in terms of science You have to realize that there is a problem number one, and then you have to identify the problem, and then you have to address the problem, and then think of solutions to the problem, and then the fifth one, which we all fall short of, especially if you're an activist, is implementation of the solution, We all like to acknowledge what the problem is. We all like to define the problem. We all like to talk about what we could do about the problem, and then we leave off the fifth one. We leave off the one that is action, the one that really does drive the train. Remember, the ancient aristocrats used to say, let them march in the street as long as they pay their taxes. And that's essentially what we do. From a moral standpoint, we essentially will get on Facebook. We will talk in amongst our friends and in our inner circles and dissect and analyze and, 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 analyze and define what the problems are. But we never make that step. Well, I'm here to tell you today that I have made the steps in the past, and I'm going to continue to make the steps in the future. And it's up to you, the person that's listening to this podcast, the person that shares this message. And I do appreciate you guys sharing the message. I've seen a, um, a, a better response from the Thomas Campbell interview than I ever could have imagined in such a short amount of time. It really has been – it's been powerful to see people share the message of what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish it isn't merely just changing the way that the legislature runs and changing the way that government you know, comes at you with, with guns and tells you to give them money. Otherwise, you're going to be put in a cage. It's not that mentality that we're trying to save. We're trying to save the paradigm. Do we need that? Do we need cages for everybody that decides that they don't want to abide by an arbitrary rule? And who gets to determine what the rule is? Actually, in, in America, the people actually do. Yes, you, the people that get to go to the juries. You know, those stupid, pesky juries that you have to go to when you get summoned to jury duty. Your role in this society is just as important as the people that are on trial. But I bet the, well, the majority of our listeners know that. But if you're new to the broadcast, yes. You have a right called jury nullification that allows you as a juror to not only judge the guilt or innocence of the person that is on trial, but to also judge the law itself. If somebody gets arrested in Georgia for riding a horse in downtown Atlanta and they don't tie their horse up to a light pole and get arrested because it's some 50-year-old statute or something that they dusted off the books just to harass a guy, then you would look at the books as an uninformed Um, I guess I'm not saying you personally. I'm just saying that let's say that a, a majority, and I don't want to say a large majority, I would say a majority of people would look and say, well, he broke the law. He's guilty. But then they take that last step away from you, and they will never tell you that you have this right because it takes away from, once again, as Mark Passio talked about, the authority of the judge. And the judge is there just to keep the peace. They are not there to edict rulings, especially when it is a jury trial. It is up to you, jurors. So now let's move away from the moral um, stance that I took there with Mark Passio and, and the diatribe that I went on describing how we can make a difference as long as we take the ideas of morality and spread them to each other and once again, practice them on a daily basis. And it is, it is difficult, everyone. It is difficult to, especially if you work in corporate America, because uh, believe me, I did for a long time, to conduct business morally a lot of the time. Because you will have pressures from a hierarchical system that is already set in place to get you to do things that you would normally not do in societal I guess it's societal exchanges. So let's say that I am a sales rep, and I've seen this many a times. I'm a sales rep that hasn't sold anything for a little bit of time. Now I'm going out on a sales call with my boss, and we're moving right along in the sales process, and the client looks like that the, they really do want the product that I'm selling. Although there is one catch. They don't really like the term. They don't want to do a three-year term, they would rather do a two-year term, or they'd rather do a one-year term with the ability to get out of the contract if, it doesn't, if the product doesn't perform the way that they would like for it to. Well, I've seen this many a times, where they will say, oh, that's no problem, you can cancel at any time. Knowing good and well that in the T's and C's, or the terms and conditions of the contract, that that person's about to sign that they will hay- face heavy penalties for terminating that contract early the client doesn't know any better thinking that they're going to be able to get off of this contract if the if the um, if the service isn't up to par they sign the agreement the child or the the person and I shouldn't say child because it's kind of demeaning to the person that, the, that this happened to. The person that sells the agreement gets their fulfillment. The manager gets their fulfillment. And the manager allows that conversation to go on and in some cases will actually drive the conversation that way because they have numbers to meet as well. So there you have just a small example of how corporations and hierarchies of authority can actually push you to performing amoral behavior. And that is the point albeit a very difficult one, where you must say uh, stand up and say that that is not ethically right. That is not a moral decision for me to make, and I can't morally sell you this unless I fully disclose to you what the penalties will be if you terminate. And so that's where we're at as a society. You see, a lot of people have made it very, very far in life by just saying what it takes to get the job done. By just saying what needs to be said in order to get the contract signed. Well, let me tell you something. Those people do not ever escape natural law or moral law. If you're Christi- or if you're a Christian, you would call it—I um, guess you would call it manners here in the South, where I'm from. But if you don't, cur- if you don't have good moral conduct, then it will come back to haunt you. Call it karma. Call it what you will. The universe works on a time delay. And when that time delay comes around, it will slap you in the face. So now let's go to a debate that I thought was pretty interesting. And this is a debate that I found online. And it was between um, Frank Turk and David Silverman, who is the president of America Atheists, on moral relativism. Now, the debate ensues between the two of these gentlemen, and it lasts about four to five minutes. But this is, the, all, this is the debate that you will hear when we talk about morals in society, and I want to break down each perspective for you and then give you my take at the very end. And then we'll close with, a I guess, an homage to the free market and why the free market is the only moral thing that you could ever utilize in a society for an economic system and we'll get into that here in a minute. So, here is moral relativism and the title of the the title of the video is called no real way to condemn the nazis. And as always everybody, you will be able to find the show notes on my website at wearenotcattle.net. Um, probably sometime tomorrow afternoon and I'll have the hyperlinks to these videos that I've played for you as well as I uh, will have a link to where you can purchase Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and I highly recommend it. It is a fab- fabulous read. He's an incredible writer, and it's very, um, it's very simple, and it's, um, it's just a good thing to, to get the wheels turning from a moral perspective. So here we go. Moral relativism, no real way to condemn the Nazis.
0: Putting it with a gay couple is immoral. I thought you just told us that there is no such thing as objective morality. Is it immoral or you just don't like it?
3: No, I said there was no such thing as objective morality. I said all morality is relative. So why, they, are you,
0: why are you objecting to somebody who doesn't want to put a kid with a homosexual couple then? Why are you objecting to that if there's no... We have the
3: right to object. We are always doing that, okay? We're always making these choices. It's not wrong to say that I'm making my independent choices, independent of any other book or any other holy book. We all make the same moral choices. I find it wholly immoral. Oh, according to what standard? Your according standard? to my standard, oh, yes. Oh, well, that's okay. So that's so. exactly the same way you do it.
0: Okay, well, but is, is, are you condemning somebody else for having a different relative standard than you?
3: No, I'm saying we all have to take responsibility for our moral judgments. We are all making those decisions in real time, just like you are. Okay, okay. For the same reason that you're not going into Leviticus and saying, let's kill the gays, that's immoral to you and me. We're making that relative moral decision. You're supporting your relative moral decision with... Make up with, 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 uh, with the Bible and other Bible quotes that you're finding. Yeah, but you're, you're confusing the
0: decision with the existence of a moral standard. You're saying that there is no moral standard, or there is a standard objective outside of humanity to which we should obey? There is no
3: objective moral standard. We are right. responsible for our own actions. Responsible to who? To ourselves and to our society. Wh- which society? Mother Teresa's or Hitler's? The society in which we live. Okay, so you yes. think this is
0: not an easy question. So at Nuremberg then we really had no right to convict the Nazis of obeying their we, government.
3: We as a world society judge our criminals and we judge them as we see fit. I know we judge them,
0: so you're saying we just judge them based on our preferences. You know, in some cultures they take care of their babies, in other cultures they eat their babies.
3: Which do you prefer? I prefer the ones where they take care of the babies. I also prefer the ones where where the Nazis don't do terrible things under the name of God. But
0: it's just a preference.
3: Yes. Okay, so you're... It's uh, an opinion. Okay, well, if it's just
0: an opinion, you're saying then... If it's just an opinion, I don't know why you condemn a Christian couple for not wanting to put a baby with a homosexual, because that's just their morality, that they have every right to express themselves, they? They have every
3: right to do it. I'm saying it's a wholly immoral position. According to who? According to me. Well, okay, well, that's just... It's all according to us. We all make our own moral decisions. Yeah, I understand. The only difference between you and me is that I take responsibility for my moral decisions and you justify your moral decisions by finding a passage in the Bible that matches your moral decisions and saying, aha, it's objective morality.
0: Well, if there is no objective morality, then we have... It's even hard to talk this way because we say we have no right, but that implies a moral standard, too.
3: No, we have a societal right. Society according like, to you, or according
5: to Hitler, or according to, the, Hitler, society, or according
3: according to the, the government that we create? Yes.
0: Okay. Well, then we had no real way to condemn the Nazis for what they did. That's the, hard,
3: the, the hard. answer is you're correct. The hard answer is it is a matter of opinion. The hard answer is they thought they were doing objective good. They did. Well, they so may We condemn them as a, as a society, but you know we do this all the time.
0: Yeah, they may have thought they were doing good, but they really weren't, according to a standard. But the only way you could know... According to whose standard? The the unchanging, objective, moral standard that is God's nature. They they did it under the name of God. Well, there's a lot of people that... You you, you don't judge a philosophy or a religion by its abuse, David. Jesus never said that we ought to go kill the Jews, quite obviously. He was a Jew himself. You should know that. Yeah. Okay, so... (laughs) (laughs) So because people have abused religion doesn't mean that the religion is false.
3: The fact that people have abused religion shows you that morality is relative. If it was objective, you couldn't abuse it.
0: No, you're confusing sociology and morality. Sociology is how people behave. Morality is how they ought to behave. We all ought to behave a certain way, but we fail to. By the way, that's why we need a savior.
2: Now, I would disagree with the last one. We don't need a... You don't need the Savior coming down from the clouds to repent all of us to Valhalla. I think that the the Savior and I'm I'm going to quote Josh Wiley on this one. So Josh, if you're listening to this broadcast, then big thumbs up to you. If Jesus is consciousness, then then we already have a Savior that can fortify here and that can manifest here and that can save us. If Jesus is consciousness, so. That is an interesting – it's an interesting banter back and forth because moral relativism, if you're looking at it um, from the eyes of somebody like Mark Passio, is a Luciferian slash satanic ideology. And the fact that, just as he said, that sociology and morality are intertwined with one another and that we, the people, determine the morality of society – I guess that would kind of support my idea that if we turn more toward a moral society, if we start teaching people these values and people implement these values in their day-to-day lives, then that would create the paradigm shift that we need in order to come back to something that would be away from a Nazi Germany situation, as he discussed in the, um, in the clip. So now, with the last few minutes, I'm going to um, play this clip of why free markets are moral, and this is um, this is by a gentleman. I'm sure you guys have heard of him, called Steve Forbes. And not that I agree with everything that this gentleman does, but the way that he describes um, free markets is um, is pretty spot on from my perspective. And also, um, it's a it's just an interesting take on society as a whole and and why we need free market systems. And um I, I think that it'll be um it'll be better described in this clip and I'm sure that we can have a, a great debate with my friend Rick. I'll actually bring this clip up to him and then we'll have a discussion about that. Um I'm actually writing this down. Rick will be back on the show sometime soon, guys, and so will Josh and we will discuss um the role of entheogens in society and the role of consciousness as it relates to how we govern one another and how we
4: decide what is and isn't correct through government. So It was written during the depths of the financial crisis. Your new book, Freedom Manifesto, um, is written in a different time. Uh, what's, the, what's the message of your new book?
1: The message is it's about where this country is going to go. Uh, are we going to have a, an era of uh, limited government and opportunity for entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. or are we going to have a government-dominated economy such as you have in Western Europe? But it's really, Matt, about a moral issue. Uh, Free markets are always portrayed as, yes, they deliver the goods, but there's kind of based on uh, greed, amorality, uh, hurt people, uh, all the things that we really don't like, but we tolerate it. Whereas government, even though people acknowledge it's bloated, inefficient, government has always seen, well, they're there to help people. What this book does is turn that on its head. It's free markets with sensible rules that are wrote that are moral because you only succeed if you meet the needs and wants of other people.
4: So what about, the, the as you say, there's a widespread public perception that Wall Street, for example, is uh, greedy and immoral. Is this um, just an aberration or um, is that, you know, is there, a, what are you saying in the book about this?
1: Well, when uh, you see bad things happen in the economy, it's usually the result of gree- uh, bad government errors. Uh, What enabled Wall Street to do so well in the last uh, 10 or 15 years was government printing too much money. You could never have had a housing bubble if the Federal Reserve hadn't printed so much money. And uh, when you have uh, properly functioning free markets, uh, the excesses are pretty well wrung out pretty quickly. Now, human beings being human beings, uh, nothing is ever perfect. But in terms of uh, bringing out the best in people, amazingly, free markets do it better than uh, the government. So I don't excuse Wall Street, but what I think we point out is uh, free markets usually, uh, all, most of the time, work better than governments. And certainly in terms of creating opportunity and abundance, uh, free markets always win against governments.
4: I like in your book how you um, you take examples of companies to illustrate your point uh, about big government and free markets. You mentioned Apple uh, versus Solyndra. Can you explain what that's about?
1: It's about meritocracy. Uh, versus crony capitalism. In the uh, free markets, Apple went out there, didn't have uh, government support. It went out there and made offerings to the public. It worked. And if it doesn't, uh, Apple shareholders and Steve Jobs would have taken the hit for it. But it's based on meeting the needs and wants of other people. Whereas Solyndra, there, if you please powerful politicians, you get the capital. You get a degree of success. But it's not based on what people actually wanted was based on the power of the state, of politics.
4: There's another section that I really liked. It's, it's called the moral power of cell phones. Can you explain what the moral power of cell phones is?
1: Well, uh, what, what uh, you see here is that free markets are about turning scarcity into abundance, whether it's Henry Ford with the moving assembly line turning a toy for the rich into something that every working person could afford, or with cell phones. 30 years ago, first one was as big as a shoebox had a battery life of about 30 or 40 minutes, was just about voice, and cost $3,995. Thanks to free markets, today there are over $5 around the world, and they do everything now. But again, that was free markets, scarcity into abundance, turning today's luxuries into tomorrow's commodities.
4: So your book talks about big government and morality. Can you go as far as to say that the big government in the FDR tradition was actually immoral?
1: Well, we have a need for government, but it's limited government. James Madison was right. We are not angels. If we were, we wouldn't need laws or government. Manifestly, we're not. Maybe grandchildren are at least to a certain age. The nice thing about free markets is regardless of your background, you can start out and work up the ladder. And it's not just in terms of the economy. There's a whole civil society out there, numerous organizations. You can have a nine-to-five job, but be involved in this organization outside of the workplace, that organization outside of the workplace. We take real responsibility, make things happen in your community or some hobby or whatever it is. It's this multiplicity of choice that allows talents to arise uh, up and develop your God-given talents.
4: That
2: is correct. And if anybody wants a good primer for what, Mr. Forbes talked about right there. You can actually find the PDF of The Basics of Economics by Thomas Sowell. It's, um, it's a fabulous read. You can also find it on Audible if you uh, are like me and you prefer to listen to books. That is about 36 hours, and um, be sure not to listen to it in the car because you might wreck your car because we are talking economics, but is The Basic Principles of Economics, and Steve Forbes hit all the high notes on that one. So. Once again, everybody, um, we are running up against the show. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Once again, get a friend, get informed, and get involved. Be sure to check out my, my blog at wearenotcattle.net. Be sure to like my YouTube channel. Please like my YouTube channel. It's getting much, much better. I'm putting up videos uh, twice a week now, so get ready for that. Um, you can find that at We Are Not Cattle TV. Um, thank you once again for anybody that has shared the Thomas Campbell interview and continue to share that because that is a philosophy that we need to get out to everyone. And um, follow me on Twitter. We are not cattle. the number one. So thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, um, share the podcast with people you know, people you like, people you care about. And if you want to change the dialogue in this country, this is one of the ways to do it. So once again, get a friend, get informed, and get involved. And we will see you on Thursday. Take care.